This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Malachi 2.17 through 3.5, where Malachi continues to address Israel's covenant unfaithfulness, this time focusing on injustice towards others. Together, we will be discussing our call to promote justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you again this week to continue our journey through Malachi. Uh, in our episode last week, we continued Malachi chapter 2, looking at verses 10 to 16, uh, where Malachi addresses the breaking of the covenant through divorce. And with that, we uh, discussed a call back to faithfulness or a call to faithfulness um, that Malachi had issued into their lives and then that Jesus is issuing into our lives. Um, this week, we finished up Malachi chapter two and moved into the first five verses of chapter three on Sunday. And so we're going to continue on that conversation today. Uh, in this passage, we are, are examining this um, idea that Malachi brings up about Israel breaking covenant again. Uh, but rather than looking at divorce and allowing that to be the context that carries us, uh, Malachi brings up the topic of injustice. Um, so before we continue in this conversation, let's go to scripture. Let's read Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5 as our starting place. So uh, I believe we have Natasha reading for us today. So Tosh, would you read uh, Malachi chapter 2, 17 through 3, 5? Yes. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty." All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Natasha. Um, let's jump into this. Uh, what are we seeing? What uh, observations do you have? What questions do you have? What do we got? Well, the first thing that I see comes from the first verse, verse 17, where, where Malachi says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And so Jesus is, or, or God has become tired um, with their words, with their, what they're saying. Um, or their words not matching what he's desiring from them, or their heart not matching. And so he's become tired. 
And it goes on to say that all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and He is pleased with them. And so, you know, we're calling good evil, kind of what we've seen prior to this already in their actions and their in their in carrying out what they're doing. And so Jesus or, or God rather is becoming tired with just what they're doing and not following what He's asked of them to do. Yeah, I'll. Uh, I mean, thank you for for kind of going through that. I will say that. That was one of the first questions I had when reading this was wearied. Like, that's just an interesting thing to say, that the Lord is wearied by the people. It kind of, I, I know there's not necessarily any kind of parallel to it, but it made me think of um, when God was, I think the word was was disappointed that he had created back in like... Um, Noah's day and and talking about all the the terrible things that were happening back then. I guess when I read that that word wearied and when I think about this like fact that once again we're seeing this this emotion, this feeling that God has towards people, I it it, it opens my eyes to just how serious this is. Like the last time we read about God having some kind of like emotion towards the people, it results on the destruction of all known creation at the time. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know, I just, I mean, this is a pretty dire situation. This, this is a serious moment in Israel's history for God to be wearied, to be tired of his people. And yet he's going to go on and he's going to talk about not destruction, but refinement or cleansing. Right. And so there's there's this kind of condemnation, but then there's hope in this message that comes from Malachi. Mm -hmm. Again, this whole thing of wearied, like reading about it, seeing what it means for them, then okay. But I feel like as I think about this and being a parent, um, think about this idea of, of being wearied in relation to my children, I, I feel like there's a whole new thought that comes into it. Like it would be easy to get down on the Israelites, to be frustrated with the Israelites from my position, reading this story right here going seriously, guys, like I'm getting wearied of the Israelites at this point as I read it. But when I think about myself as a parent with my children, I recognize, man, there, there are points when I am wearied as a parent, but it like, that doesn't change the overwhelming amount of love that I have for them. It doesn't. And I guess in those moments where I'm wearied, it's usually happening as a result of like, you know, I've, I've asked them to do something or I've told them to do something and they don't do it and they don't do it and they don't do it and they don't do it. And so I'm getting wearied of that. But as the parent kind of watching them and, and knowing them and understanding them, I realize like, obviously I have kids of all different ages, you know, some of my kids, they don't understand really what I'm saying. And so even though I'm wearied of having to repeat myself and wearied of, of trying to teach the same lesson over and over again, I have this like overwhelming amount of, I guess, for lack of a better term, because it's definitely imperfect, but grace on like for them in those moments of me being wearied. 
Um, even, even the older ones, you know, it's like, man, you really messed that up, but I still love you. And so like, <laughs> you're still part of this family. You're still somebody I love. You're still somebody I want to be in right relationship with. You're still somebody I want to help grow up. And so even though I'm wearied, I still want what's best for them. Even though I'm wearied, I'm not giving up on them. And so I think I didn't come to that until we're just sitting here talking about it. When I was reading this, I read wearied and I think, uh oh, like God's got a feeling towards the Israelites that he that is not a, a positive feeling. And so even though we read differently, like that that it's talking about refinement, like the thought in my mind is destruction. And yet when I think about it in terms of my children and me feeling that emotion, maybe I begin to get a glimpse of how God feels and why he's able to go in the direction that he goes in this prophecy. Yeah, it's he's wearied, but he's not done. Like this isn't this is like a it feels like a temporary, like temporary thing. Like I'm wearied, but I have this hope that I, that I'm going to offer in spite of what you say or what you do, or even questioning whether I exist, like despite all those things, I still, as long as there's breath in your lungs, that gives him the opportunity to, 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 to purify, to, to make what is unclean clean. Um, to, you know, and it like really plays into all that we've seen, whether it's um, sacrifices or, or the way they're living, like this purification kind of overtone is is like weaved in throughout Malachi up to this point. And it's just a, like this is like the culmination of what he's desiring to do. So we'll get to the the conversation on like the purifying work in a moment. But before we get to that, um, just as we're moving through this passage, you know, so we've we've looked at 17, not that we've dealt completely with 17. I don't know. Maybe we'll come back to it. But as we move on and go into verse one of chapter three, um, I have a few thoughts that come to mind. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Um, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. And when I'm reading that, I think back to our conversation on context and like what's going on here in Malachi. We made the statement early on that the Israelites are living in a state of spiritual dissonance, which by that we mean like 90 years ago, they completed the building of the temple and the the promise was that the glory of that temple would surpass that of the old temple. And the inference was that, that the glory was going to be a result of the presence of God. And 90 years later, we still have the people awaiting the fulfillment of this promise, the fulfillment of this prophecy. And they're starting to question Right. That, that's what we were talking about when we say spiritual dis dissonance. They're, they're starting to say, like, these promises were made and we're not seeing the promises fulfilled. And so, like, we're starting to doubt God. We're starting to doubt, 
like God's goodness. We're starting to doubt God's presence. Uh, and you even see that in this passage specifically as well. But in verse one, um, I, I think it's, it's interesting to me because it's another prophecy that it's going to come. So it's almost like Malachi is saying, Hey, this was a promise made long ago, 90 years ago. It's a promise you guys are still struggling with. And it seems like it's like the, a major struggling point for you. And it's a promise that still remains, but it's off in the future. Like this is ahead of us. Like I will send my messenger. That means the messenger hasn't been sent yet. Who will prepare a way before me? Well, if that messenger who hasn't been sent yet is responsible for preparing the way before the messenger of the covenant, who is um, the the one who they desire, like the Lord that they are seeking, then that means that the Lord that they are seeking has not yet come yet either. And he's not going to be there. And so it's almost like Malachi is trying to set the stage and prepare them for the reality that like this promise is still coming, but it's not yet. Well, like a, a reminder to be faithful to the covenant that they've already made. Right. Be faithful to the promise that you've made. And God will be faithful in, on his end mm-hmm. of this, this covenant that he's made. It's going to come true. This promise that he's made is going to come true. It's like he's refocusing their goals or their mindset. Like, mm. remember remember why we're here. We're here because we are... There is coming a time that we, I have promised that this is going to happen and just remember and keep the faith. Not to, not to try to, to say more of this than maybe was intended. But as you said that Brittany, all I could think about was, man, that doesn't sound too far off from where we find ourselves today. Like so, so many I have heard are so focused on like this idea that, that like God, like God's deliverance here and now, like, like my focus is on heaven or, or like eternity, um, things made perfect now. Um, gosh, I, I'm, I feel like I'm not communicating this. I'm just. Like the way you said that made me think like, I feel like that's where we are now. Like a a lot of people have that same mindset where we we're not okay with living in the present that recognizes the promise is, is off in the future, but we still have a responsibility to the present, not to just live to the future. Like we live in the present knowing that the promise is coming. Well, when you think of that in terms of verse three, like who can stand who can stand when when he appears? Verse, I said, oh, it's verse two, sorry. <laughs> I said. Yeah. <laughs> I said, it's, I, said, it's sim- I said. It's similar to, to verse two where he says, who can stand when he appears? Like, we can't do that. That Like, that's like this battle, like we're trying to make, almost like we're trying to say, like, we're living for what's, in doing so, we, we forget all that, all that there is like life continues until Jesus comes again until he returns. 
And so we can't just say, well, I'm just like counting down the days. Like every day we're one day closer. Like, So as he's talking about, um, you know, the mess, reminding them of this, that, you know, of what's to come. It's, he's also giving this like, and when he comes, there's going to be this refining. And, um, I, I think, I think you can look at it two ways. I think you can look at it as, oh no, it's going to be really hard. And, or I think you can look at it as there's going to be relief that there's going to be the refining can either be really hot or really difficult or it can be a purification. Yeah. I, I mean, like when you think about it and you think about the refining process that I know a ton about, I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I don't. Um, but in what I was reading, like a part of this, as this refining process has happened, like, the goal is to remove the impurities from the like precious metal. Uh, since silver is mentioned, we can talk about silver. Like there's, there's the silver and then there's like all the junk in it and it gets heated up. And when it's heated up, because those things are made of different materials, they separate and they're no longer one um, in the solid state. And so they're able to then separate those things out. And it's really only the like, junk that that gets destroyed because the fire doesn't actually destroy the the silver it's liquid but then when the fire is like when the heat is removed from it it solidifies and now you have this really shiny metal that's free of impurities that wasn't destroyed by the fire and so it's like that that purification process I guess essentially brings destruction to the impure part of that metal, but it bring results in beautification of the silver. I think it, I think your thought on how the refining process is going to be depends on your relationship with the impurities in your life the things that is not the things that are not of God, the things that you may not want to be rid of. Well, there's also only one refiner. And in this process of refining, we love to I it's easy to try to to play the role of refiner in someone else's process of being made holy or being made pure. And like going back to like Matthew, we know our role is is not that. My role, I, I believe that God through the Holy Spirit can use me to help someone get to the place of working through their purification process, but it's not my process. No. Um, and so I have to be careful in in what I do, in maybe giving someone you know helpful wisdom. Um, giving wisdom that comes from God, but not trying to play God, not trying to play the refiner. I can't do that, but I want to help people to find the person who can refine them and to to learn how to listen to the one who can refine them and to learn how to look for the things that the refiner is trying to point out in their life. 
but I don't want to be the refiner. Right. thinking about us today about our just our conversations like us bickering a little bit today. and I was like like thinking about like how much I just want to tell you what you're doing wrong but that's not my job my yeah. job is to love you and yes if if I feel that I need to talk to you about something then I talk to you about something but me saying Derek you're being ridiculous or you know that may not be what I'm supposed to do. I'm probably supposed to not run my mouth is more than like, and not try to be like, well, you do this and this and this and this. That's what I made me think of. But it's so easy to want to do that for other people. And we think we're doing them a favor. Like, I think I'm doing someone a favor when I point something out. Not that I shouldn't, but it, I should listen and make sure that that's, Jesus wanting me to point something out and I'm not just pointing something out for the sake of trying to make somebody what I want them to be in your own image. Or, yeah. Or, or not, I don't want to make somebody follow this set of rules that I've made up. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the goal. If I'm doing that, I'm like a Pharisee and we know what Jesus has said about that. And so like, I want to help people without trying to take a role that doesn't belong to me. Because I desire people to be holy because only one person is holy and can make us holy, mm-hmm. the refiner. That's like, I can't make somebody holy. I can point them, but... One of the things that I thought was very interesting as I was reading about this whole refiner uh, process, refiner conversation, was that a refiner would know like one of the ways that a refiner knows that the material that they are refining specifically talking about silver. So one of the ways that a refiner of silver knows that the silver has been refined and is ready is when the refiner can see their reflection in the metal, like in the silver. And when I think about that, it's like, Holy moly. If, if Jesus is our refiner, and he is working until he sees himself when he looks at us. Like, that's huge. And this goes back to the conversation that, like, the, the statements that you were just making, Derek. Like, w- when we talk about our role in this conversation and, and the communal role of our, our walk towards Jesus, which I, I do believe that our relationship with him is, is very community-oriented, like, we are supposed to do this together, but we've got to be very careful that we do not try to ever elevate ourselves to that position of refiner because the last thing that we need is to look in that metal and see our reflection. Because that's not who they were created to be. That's not who anybody was created to be. It's not about seeing myself in the reflection of the silver being refined. It's not about me seeing my own understanding of what it means to follow Jesus or what it means to look like Jesus. It's about seeing Jesus. And I recognize that in my own life, regardless of where I'm at in this refining process, I'm still in the midst of this refining process. And so for me to ever think myself as the one that should be 
establishing the guidelines for this refining process is overstepping who I am. And so again, back to what you said, Derek, I think like our role in this communal conversation is to point people to the refiner, to help people learn how to hear the refiner, to help people learn how to talk to the refiner, to see the refiner, to like be in relationship with this refiner. Cause it's only when they are in relationship with this refiner over their own impurities that they begin to be transformed into his image. And he begins to see himself more and more in this reflection. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. Like as we start, like we move in like into verse three, where he talks about purifying the Levites. That's the first group that's talked about the very ones who were, I mean, essentially leading the people astray in their understanding of what they were to do. So he starts at the top and the people who were meant to lead and he purifies there and the trickle down effect that it has where their, their, their offerings become acceptable. So like we see this shift as it takes place at the top and how that trickles down to those that had been led astray and how that, like how important it is that if you're leading, that you're continually being refined. And like, as I say that, like I recognize that, (laughs) that that includes me. And so, I mean, it should include all of us in some way, shape or form if we're leading someone. And so like, I recognize Jesus that I need to be refined continually. It's not like a, an, a statement that's new in what we say here on this podcast, but in the midst of what's taking place, I don't want to lead others astray. I don't want it to get so skewed that you have to come to this place of like, of giving warning and hope behind that, but uh, of warning because of how far off I've gone. This reminded me of what we, we talked about in Haggai um, a couple weeks ago. In chapter 2, verse 6, it talks about how, you know, the Lord promised that this this temple that they built would be great, that it didn't look like much, but he was going to shake the heavens and he was going to shake the earth and, um, and shake all the nations. And I think that the refining is that shaking. And is that like disrupting them to the point that it breaks down those impurities and the things that are not of God and allows for the glory to be in the house of the Lord? Derek, when you were talking, you made a statement about how um, like there's this trickle down conversation that happens where like we have this refiner conversation and the first people that are addressed in this refinement conversation is the Levites. So he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable. So you see like God starts with the top and it works its way down. And we've seen a consistent conversation in Malachi addressing the shortcomings of the Levites. 
the the problems that they had, the acceptance of um, unworthy offerings, the acceptance of of inadequate offerings, really, and and saying that they're okay, the perversion of justice um, that is addressed here in this chapter, the the breaking of covenant and relationship with each other and with God, um, like you you see the Levites constantly kind of leading astray. And they're going to be the first ones refined. And as a result, you're going to see this refinement of the nation. And I think about that and I bring that into our conversation today. And if you remember last week in this discussion about who the Levites were, we made the connection that like if, if Malachi was written to us today, it, we all would find ourselves probably in that place of the Levites. Like, as Christians, as those who are following Jesus, are pursuing Jesus, are his disciples, like we have the responsibility of the Levites in the world around us. And so with that in mind, I have heard over and over and over and over again, like people talking about the world and what's going on in the world and how it's just falling apart. And how like we berate it and we make these statements like, well, you know, that's what happens when you take prayer out of the schools or that's what happens when we just let our morals start to slide and we just make everything acceptable and, you know, shame on those people. And God through Malachi did not allow the Levites to get away with it. He didn't say like, oh, terrible Israel for what you are doing. He said, Levites, what what are you doing? You are leading my people astray. And so when I hear what, what God says through Malachi here to the Levites and to Israel, I read that into our conversation in our lives today, and I, I hear the same thing. Like, it starts with us as Christians. Like, if we want to start calling out society, if we want to start saying that there's problems that exist in the world around us, and, and we want to start blaming them, man, we got another thing coming. It starts with us. I mean, the statistics speak for themselves. It's been a while since I've actually looked at like the active statistics, but I know for a long time, like divorce was equally prevalent both within the church and outside of the church. I actually believe that like viewing of pornography was uh, percentage wise higher within the church than outside of the church. Like you have all of these problems that exist and we, and and they're not that it's like divorce or pornography that led to the deterioration of the world, but those are just symptoms of the deteriorating world. And we point the finger at the world and say it's the world's fault, but the truth is it's our fault. Like we have let it slide. We have permitted allowances. We have said that like we have been the ones to look at evil and say that it is good because we're afraid to call evil for what it is. We're afraid of the cost that it might mean for us as Christians relationally. We're afraid of the cost of what it might mean for us as people within the church, for, for us institutionally. And so we, for lack of a better term again, like massage sin and say it's okay. And we move on. It's no wonder the world looks like it does. Like look right here. We've, we've got a problem. We have not been refined in the image of Christ 
we have been refined in the image of our own doctrines, of our own understandings, of our own like interpretations of what it means to be Jesus. Like we're not actually looking at Jesus. We we are so divided in looking at our own understanding of Jesus that he just got lost somewhere and and honestly probably thrown out of the car somewhere along the way. Like shame on us as the church. And I'm I understand that we're a part of the Church of the Nazarene, but I'm not just making that statement about the Church of the Nazarene though we are included like shame on us as the church where we have, we have tried to fashion people in our own image rather than pointing people to be refined in the image of the one who created them. The problem starts with us, not the world out there. It's funny you say that I'm reading a book called extreme ownership and it's a leadership book and I'm reading it because I'm a leader at my job. But, and I didn't like I I read those I, I'm reading these leadership books not really in the framework of the church mm-hmm. but hearing you say that the whole premise of this idea of extreme ownership is as the leader you take responsibility for what's going on in your team mm. that you you not only take responsibility but you come up with ways to fix it. And I know, you know, we're, we're going to allow God and we're going to allow him to work through us in those things. But I think the mindset of that extreme ownership can be relatable here. Um, there's a, there's a story in the book that talks about it's that these are, um, Navy SEALs. These, these two guys that wrote the book, they're Navy SEALs. So they're like, they're, they're awesome at what they do. But, um, one, there was, they do this, um, um, thing in, in these boats and they, put them in teams by their height and they have them like just go race back and forth and they have a leader in each boat. And the, there was this one boat that was just knocking it out of the park. They were just doing so wonderful. The leader was just in tune with what was going on with his team and just doing so, so well. And then there was a team that was doing very, very poorly. And the, the attitude of that leader was more like, well, I just got, I just got handed a really crappy hand. Like Mm -hmm. what I have here is just, you know, other people got better team, got better teams than I did. Well, they made, they had a decision, they made a decision to switch the leaders. Mm. So the strong leader went with the team that was seen as not so strong. And the weaker leader went with the stronger team. And that first race, the weaker team won the, and the stronger team came in second and it wasn't, it was, I think it really has to do with our attitude mm-hmm. saying all that, that our attitude, how we, how we go about this. If we can say, you know, the world is broken. The church is broken. We're just gonna, you know, God, you're just gonna have to fix this. You know, this is what it is instead, you know, God, this is what you've given us. What can we do to fix this? Mm-hmm. I think, I think our mindset is, a huge deal when it when we're talking about this topic and thinking about it like that then and looking at like our specific situation so like we live in this community called Riverstone and you know as, as a like local body we meet in the school in the neighborhood so like that would be like our church comes together right at the school but when you think about it in terms of that like the, the church is not just those who show up on Sunday morning at the school for worship. The church 
I guess from that understanding, this might sound a little weird, but like the church is this community. Like this is that a, a parish conversation where we recognize that even though there are literally thousands of people, right? It'd be safe to say that, right? Thousands of people who do not attend our church by nature of who God has made us and by nature of the place that he has put us in, we are in a sense responsible for this community. And so as, as the leaders, as, as the Christian leaders within this community, are we going to sit back and look at the community and say, man, it is, look how it's falling apart, like shame on them. Or are we going to say, okay, God has put us here for such a time as this. So how do we now go into the community and begin to lead? How do we now begin to like be Jesus and, and I guess embody Christ in the world around us so that people start looking to him? And how much would that change the world if the local churches around the world, and I'm sure there's already some that are doing this, but if the local churches around the world begin to take responsibility for more than just the people that darken their doorways, but actually took responsibility for the people that surrounded their geographical area, how much would that change everything? Probably feel a lot like refinement. I don't mean for this to go in, but I look at that last that last like statement before the do not fear, deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Mm-hmm. And we're so terrible at that. Mm-hmm. Even like I never dreamed that moving to the Central Valley would be just as polarizing as living in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. I mean that like in full sincerity. I never dreamed that it would be like that. I guess that's just having a misconception like <laughs> brought on by like what you hear or see in the media. But like I never would have dreamed that people would have such a disdain for people of opposing political views, just political views. Like they can be just as Caucasian or whatever as you and they still have the, like I never dreamed that people would be like that. Like it's so divisive. Mm-hmm. And that's not even like a foreigner. Like that's, that's yeah. I mean, and it's even worse when it's somebody that's not the same. Because just like the statement that Josh made, they're they're taking our jobs. Like that's really how people think. Like, what are we so scared of? Like, what are like they are people just like you, created in the same image that you were created in. And yet, like people <laughs> they just cannot handle it. And that's what it means to not fear the Lord. Like in that that they have no fear for him. When, the, when you have a heart like that, you cannot possibly fear God. And so if we think about this idea of like how different things would look if the local churches around the world would begin to take ownership and responsibility for the communities around them, and we read with it where our passage for the day ends in verse 5, where it talks about how... Uh, God's going to come and and put them on trial 
and be quick to testify against them. There's this long list against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Like you have all of this stuff. Like this is what God is going to come and put them on trial for. And so if we think about this idea of us as a church, as, as the Levites, right? That was, that was the connection that was made and our taking ownership of the world around us and carrying this responsibility, this burden for our, our neighbors, our neighborhood, our community. What does it look like for us as a church or us as individuals to begin to you know, fight on behalf of the laborers who are being defrauded their wages? To, to fight on behalf of the widows who are being oppressed and the fatherless who are being oppressed? What does it look like for us to, to seek justice on behalf of the foreigner who, who is being deprived justice? Like These are all topics that really are, are kind of hot-button topics in the world, and, and they're very divisive topics, at least some of them are. But what would it look like for us as a church to be leading the conversation not in the direction of of division in opposition to the narratives that might be at, out there but to actually work from the ground up like n- not trying to get all the attention in the world but just simply seeking justice of those around us Micah 6:8 says And what does the Lord your God require of you? But to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And I think that's exactly what Malachi is calling the Israelites to, like God is calling the Israelites to through Malachi. And I think that's exactly what we, as the modern-day Levites, are being invited to. So what will it look like for us this week to seek justice on behalf of those around us, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, a journey through Haggai and Malachi, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about the church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.